What does the Bible say about doing mission work in countries where it is illegal? The Bible says we are to obey the laws of the land, so how can we do mission work in a country where the law prohibits that work? It's the cross-culture Q&A question, Pastor Clay's answer, right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. With those words, the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation opens, and we are introduced to the worst scene yet in this great prophetic book. The picture of God's judgments are so graphic, they are so powerful that I am just broken now at the thought of people under the condemnation of God and knowing what is in front of them. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. For the people who have rejected God's warnings and embraced the Antichrist and his political and religious system, the time of judgment has come and the wrath of God is poured out. As you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, Revelation chapter 16 verses 1 through 11 really don't need a lot of explanation. In the pouring out of the bold judgments, God gives to men what they deserve because men refuse to give to God what He deserves. It will be a terrible time, such as the world has never seen before. But as we're going to learn, God is perfectly justified in what He does. But today, Pastor Clay is going to ask the question, why does God want us to know about these judgments? The answer may surprise you and hopefully will help us all in our crosswalk. Now here's today's message. question that I want to begin with this morning is this. Why do we need to know this? If... If my eschatology is correct, that's the the theological term. It comes from the Greek word eschatos. It means last things. Eschatology is the study of the last things. If my eschatology is correct, if my understanding of the last things, the end time events are correct, then the church, the, the body of believers will be raptured or snatched up or snatched out prior to these events taking place, prior to the tribulation period beginning. So the question is, why do we need to know them if we're not going to be here for them. That is, in fact, one of the arguments that is used by biblical interpreters that do not hold to my position by those that do not believe that the church will be raptured out and that it will actually, in fact, have to go through the tribulation period, one of their arguments is this very thing. They contend, why would God tell us all of this? Why would God have all of this explanation in here for the church to read, for the church to understand, for the church to learn about if the church wasn't going to be here to have to go through it? Why would he do that? Now, I could argue God is God and he does not need to explain why he tells us or doesn't tell us anything that he does or does not. He's God. And so he doesn't necessarily have to feel obligated, as I've said, to do so. But I believe God has reasons for telling us, those of us who are here and are part of the body of Christ, we've come into a relationship with him. 
I believe God has reasons for telling us about these judgments that are going to come on the earth. I believe that God has a reason for giving to John to give to us scene after scene after scene after scene of his judgments, his wrath on this earth seen through the sealed judgments and then the trumpet judgments and now finishing with these almost quite honestly unimaginable bowl judgments. I think God has a very good reason for telling us, the body of Christ, these things. And I don't think that God's reason is so that you and I can gloat about it. So that you and I can say, na 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 boo boo, you're going to burn in hell, kind of thing. And can I confess to you, I have done that. I I, I can remember um, after John Lennon was murdered, you know, the radio stations were playing all of his songs all the time, and I can remember that song, Imagine, his song, Maybe his most famous song coming on the radio. And you know that, that line where it says, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. And I can remember saying after his death in that song, I can remember saying, I'll bet you can imagine hell now, can't you, John? I, I, don't, I don't think that way anymore. Not, not after this study of these judgments in the book of Revelation because The picture of God's judgments are so graphic, they are so powerful that that I am just broken now at the thought of people under the condemnation of God and knowing what is in front of them. I don't think it's so that we can gloat, and and I and I don't think it's because God wants to gloat. I've mentioned this passage of scripture for the last two weeks, and I'll mention it again for a third week, just to make sure that all of us here are on the same page in understanding God's heart in the midst of all of this judgment stuff. Ezekiel chapter thirty-three says this: "Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked." It's not what this is about. This is not, as I said last week, God getting, getting payback for having to put up with our stuff all these years. But rather, that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. In the context of Ezekiel 33, he's referring to the house of Israel. But the implication, the application would be to every single person living in wickedness. Which don't, listen, don't think of wickedness as, oh, a, a, an axe murderer or a rapist. Yes, that's, that, those are wicked actions. But anything that falls short of God's expectations for our life is sin. It's wickedness. Turn, turn. He says, this isn't about God getting even with us or anything like that. So why does God want us to know about these judgments? I can think of Two primary reasons why I believe God wants us to know about these judgments that you've heard read in this dramatic reading this morning from Revelation chapter 16. We're covering verses 1 through 11 this morning. I I can think of two primary reasons why God would want us to know this sort of thing. The first reason that God wants us, I believe, to know about uh, about his judgments is to build us up. And by the way, these two reasons, I've, I've touched on them at different times throughout these judgments, but I'm, I'm bringing it home this morning because I just, I just really felt like, because we're, we're building to a climax of these judgments, at least these judgments on the earth. And, 
And so I think at least one of the reasons that God wants us, the bride of Christ, as we're sometimes referred to as, the body of Christ, as we're referred to as, those of us in relationship with Jesus Christ, the reason God wants us to know is to build us up. Now listen, I know this is hard for us as Americans. It really is. It's hard for us as Americans to understand this because we've never experienced it. But throughout history, and even still today, people are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. As I said, we living in America, you know, we really don't understand. We really have never experienced that type of persecution. The the original, true original apostles of Christ, almost every single one of them were, were put to death in some horrible way for their faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout history, men, women, and children have been stoned to death, crucified, burned at the stake, run through with spears, drowned, eyes gouged out, tongues cut out, beaten, taken from their families, thrown in prison, hung. I need to go on. Too often, too often today, you can, if you dare do it, you can go on Voice of the Martyrs website and you can read of some Muslim girl in some Muslim country who's come to faith in Jesus Christ and when her family finds out, she's drug outside of her village and stoned to death with her family, with her parents being the first to throw the stones. In China, thousands of people are languishing in the squalor of a Chinese prison for nothing more than standing up and pledging their allegiance to Jesus Christ. In places like North Korea and Vietnam, pastors of underground churches. An underground church is a church that has to meet in secret because of persecution. Pastors of underground churches are, are, are kidnapped and led off into the jungle, never to be seen again by their families or their churches. In places like India and Bangladesh, missionaries wake up in the morning to find notes on their door that say, Unless you stop talking about this Jesus, your children will be taken from you and you'll never see them again. Do you think people that experience those types of things need to be built up? I, I know, I know it's hard for us to fathom it. But do you think, do you think that, those, that those Christians waiting for their appointment with the lions in the arena in Rome to be ripped from limb to limb... Do you think that they needed to know that God was going to be victorious? Do you think they needed to be reminded that, that God had not abandoned them and that God was going to be victorious and that righteousness ultimately was going to rule and reign on this earth? Do you think they needed to know that? Do you think a Chinese wife crying in her bed tonight in China with two small children because her husband has just been sentenced to 15 years of hard labor for teaching the people in his village about the true God. And she doesn't know if she'll ever see him again or for that matter how she'll even find food to feed her own children. Do you think she needs to be encouraged? Do you think she needs to be built up and to be reminded that God is on his throne and God has not abandoned her and that God will be victorious 
as he accomplishes his kingdom purposes. Do you think they need that sort of thing? I think that's part of what God's judgments do for us. They remind us that no matter how bad it may be, they strengthen us for the persecution that a person may face. They strengthen us for our faith journey. That even though we in America may not face the persecution that other places in the world do or have, we still need strength for this journey that we're on to try and be what God would desire for us to be. Do you think that we ever sometimes need to be encouraged and to be reminded and to be built up to the fact that God is on his throne, that God is in control and that God is going to accomplish his purposes? Do you think that might be possible? And by turning to these judgments... And seeing the end result, we are reminded that our God is so righteous that nothing escapes his eye and that none who suffer for his name's sake will go unnoticed. I think that at least part of the reason God wants us to know about these judgments is to build us up. And so these believers throughout the centuries and still today who are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ are and have been and will be built up as they, as they turn to the back of this book and they're reminded that, yes, my God wins. He's not abandoned me. He's not, he's not started this thing and just left it to its own devices and purposes. He actually has a plan and a purpose. And no matter how difficult it may be in my life right now, no matter what they may do to me, My God wins, and so I will win. I'll be victorious in this. It builds us up. But I think that God has another purpose for letting us have a glimpse at these judgments. Not only do they build us up, but I think they burden us down. Or at least I think they should burden us down. I think it is safe for me to say there is not a person in this room. I I may not know all of you, but I feel safe. I feel confident in saying there's not a person in this room that doesn't care about where people will spend eternity. I know you do. I know you care. The question is, how much do we care? How much do I care? Do I care enough to be rejected if I try and share with someone? Or to be ridiculed? By someone for my belief in this God that I've never seen with my physical eyes. And that I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when, this, when his word tells me that he was crucified. And I'm, and I'm ridiculed, I'm laughed at, I'm mocked. Do, do I care enough to go through that? Do I care enough to be embarrassed? Do I care enough to, to give sacrificially? We got an award this week. Got a letter in the mail along with this... Suitable for framing certificate. From the International Mission Board. If you, if you don't know what that is, the International Mission Board is, is the mission agency that comes under the umbrella of the Southern Baptist Convention. We are a church that cooperates with the Southern Baptist Convention along with 45,000 plus other churches that cooperate with the Southern Baptist Convention in fulfilling the Great Commission. And one of the ways that we do that is through funding the International Mission Board which sends missionaries all over the world. Part of the way we fund the International Mission Board is through something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering or the Christmas Mission Offering. 
We take up an offering here every year. None of it stays in this church. None of it goes for administrative costs. It goes to put missionaries on the field. And we got an award. We got a letter. We got a certificate this week uh, commending us for being in the, in the highest percentage, in the, in the 13%. We were in the thir- 13%, only 13% of the 45,000 plus Southern Baptist churches reached the level that we reached, which was based on per capita, or as I understand it would be per person giving, based on average weekly attendance. We, we were in the top 13%. Now, before we're tempted to say amen or to applaud, do you know what you had to do to get in the top 13%? Give at least $25 per person, average. Hey, we were $35.12. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that puts us in the top 13%. But you and I probably spend that much or more in a month on coffee and Diet Coke. And we got the award. That means that 87% of the 45,000 plus churches gave less than $25 per person to a, to a mission offering that puts missionaries on the field to share the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. Less than $25 per person. Listen, we, we gave more than our, our, our goal last year was $5,000. And if I remember right, we, we, we took in right at $6,000. And if you average that by the average attendance that we have at Cross Culture Church, it comes out to $35.12. Praise God we met our goal. Praise God we went over our goal. But $25 per person to get in the upper 13%? There's something wrong with our priorities. I'm just talking, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying church, the church overall, the body of Christ in America. Now listen, this, this is going to sound like I'm bragging, but I, but I hope you know my heart. I really do. I hope you know my heart. And, and I hope you understand that, that, I, that I tell this just so that you understand it, it can be done, ladies and gentlemen. Years ago, Cindy and I made a decision that whatever we would spend on our children at Christmas time, that we would spend or we would give that same amount to the Christmas mission offering, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If it, were, if it was $300 we spent on our kids, if it was $500, if it was $700, whatever it was we spent on our kids, we would give that same amount to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering because quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we could no longer justify making sure that our children had the had the greatest video game ever sold when there are people still waiting for the greatest story ever told. We, we, just, we just couldn't justify it anymore. Do I care enough? Am I burdened down enough for those without a relationship with Jesus Christ that I'm willing to, as, as Craig Groeschel says in his book, The Christian Atheist, to cross over that third line of Christianity to be this person who uncompromisingly, unapologetically surrenders everything for the cause of Christ 
and says to his honor and to his glory and to make his name famous among my friends and my family and my coworkers and the billions of people out there who will die and go into a Christless eternity unless somebody's willing to step across that third line, unless somebody's willing to say as the prophet Isaiah said, hear my Lord, send me. Let me be a part of it. Let me be involved in it. Let me give to it. See, I, I, I think... I think, at least for me, that's at least part of what what these judgments do. They burden my heart to care about people who are headed for an eternity without Christ. And so well I should. Listen. Listen listen to the Apostle Paul's heart. Look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everybody knows what an ambassador is. It's a representative for for someone or a country. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg you. I can't even remember when I begged somebody to come to Christ. Listen, you want to talk about a burden? You want to see what I think is one of the most amazing statements in all of Scripture? Look what Paul says to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 9. For my people, for my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Can you believe that? Do you know what Paul just said? He said, I'd be willing to go to hell if it meant that they could go to heaven. Talk about a burden. Paul's willing to go to hell so that somebody can go to heaven. And sometimes I'm willing, if I'm even willing to go across the street so that somebody can go to heaven. To burden us down. And to say, I can't, I can't just sit on the sidelines. I can't not be a part of this kingdom work. I can't, be a part, can't not be a part of reaching the nations and the neighbors for Christ. I've got to be involved in this. Because time is running out and this is the eternity. This is the future and then the eternity that's to come. If you're with us on a weekly basis, you know that usually I walk through these verses and give explanation. But I really don't think there's a lot of need for explanation this week, do you? Boils covering their, their bodies I've never, or something, at least something like a boil. I've never had a boil, but I, I had a friend growing up who used to get boils all the time, and they are, they are nasty, ugly, painful sores. The oceans and the rivers turning into blood? Why not? If Jesus had no problem turning water into wine, I doubt if he had much trouble turning water into blood. Now, some people have speculated, by the way, this is kind of a sidebar, but some people have speculated that oil has sort of a reddish tint to it and so uh, perhaps that's what John is seeing that something kind of looks like blood and water but but in fact it is it is oil well I, I don't uh, I don't think that there's any need to explain away the blood and in fact the angel seems to imply that there's a specific reason why judgment includes blood because as we saw earlier they uh, the world the wickedness of the world has spilt the blood of the followers of Jesus from from Abel on And so blood seems to be a very important part of God's judgment in the last days. I see no need to to make it anything other than blood, but it did get me to thinking. How ironic would it be if oil, the thing that that I suspect this world considers its most most valuable property, its most precious commodity, how, 
How like God would it be for this thing that we hold so precious and that nations are willing to go to war over? How like God would it be to make it so worthless and even destructive because because there was so much of it, it flowed out of people's kitchen faucets and water, the price of water skyrocketed overnight. Uh, That just kind of sounds like an irony that, but I, I think it's blood. Scorching heat of the sun on and so forth. We'll look at six and seven next week. But the bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, the big picture biblical principle is this. In the pouring out of the bold judgments, God gives to men what they deserve because men refuse to give to God what he deserves. Verses five through seven make it clear that God is absolutely and perfectly just in giving men what they justly deserve because they have refused to honor him as God. The scripture says, as all of this stuff, all of the, all of the judgment that took place before all of this, all of the sermons that took place before this, all of the warnings that came down before this, all of this were, were opportunities for sinful men and women to turn to God and to give their lives to him and receive his pardon and his forgiveness and his grace and his peace and his love and all of these things and they refused and not only did they refuse they blasphemed God they cursed at him they, 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 with whatever curse words you could think of they used those in the face of the very God and so they are receiving this it's, it, I think it's safe to assume that the people who are still on the earth at this point in Revelation chapter 16 the people who have received the mark of the beast and who have worshipped Christ I think it's safe to assume that these are the hardcore God haters of the world not atheists by the way there's another irony isn't it there won't be any atheism in the tribulation period oh everybody will know that God is real but knowing that he's real, believing that he's real is not the same thing as following him as God. They will refuse to bow down. They will refuse to bend their knee. They will refuse to accept the free gift that he paid for with his precious blood. And so men will receive what they deserve because they've refused to give to God what he deserves. These judgments build us up. And they do. I, I, haven't even, I don't even know what it's like to be persecuted. But even me, they, 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 they encourage me, they strengthen me, they build me up because I remember no matter what happens or no matter what goes on, I know that God is on his throne and that God has his plans and, that, and this thing's going to come to fruition and, and, and that builds me up. And I know it builds up the people who, who have given their lives for the cause of Christ, who have suffered and, and who are languishing even right now this moment in persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. I know it builds them up and I know that it ought to burden us down with the realization that this is what is in front of those who reject Christ and who are alive in the tribulation period. The passion of cross-culture church is this, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. For the glory of God, I pray that that is not simply words printed on our founding documents, that it is burned into our very hearts. Build us up, burden us down. What a timely message. The world is headed for dark days during the tribulation period, and those of us who have the light of Christ need to be spreading that light everywhere we can, while we still can. Nobody knows for sure, but there seems to be a lot of signs that point to the fact that the tribulation period and the return of Christ is rapidly approaching. Are you ready for it? Do you know someone who's not? 
Pastor Clay's big picture biblical principle really summed up chapter 16 verses 1 through 11 quite well. God will give to men what they deserve because men refuse to give God what he deserves. Because they curse God and turn their backs on him and his way of salvation, God will have no choice but to deal with men's sins. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Hey, um, it's Q&A time at Cross Culture Church and uh, have an interesting topic uh, this morning that we wanted to deal with. And the question looks like this. Here's the question. Uh, What does the Bible say about doing mission work in countries where it is illegal? Here's the second part of the question. The Bible says that we are to obey the laws of the land. So how can we do mission work in a country where the law prohibits that work? Very good question. Um, The primary text that they're referring to when they say we're supposed to obey the laws of the land would be found in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, Paul talks a lot about government and that sort of thing. But it says this. It says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The idea of government and rule and, 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 uh, and order and that sort of thing. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And Paul goes on to, uh, to tell us to pay our taxes. Thanks a lot, Paul. Um, and that sort of stuff. But uh, it's the idea of recognizing that God has established government, God has established authority so that there is order to the system in which we live, so that there are penalties for those who, uh, who uh, uh, break uh, moral laws and codes and, and hurt other people and, and that sort of thing. So the question is, if we're supposed to obey our, our rulers, and if someone lives in a country or if there are countries where the rulers say, you can't uh, spread the gospel, how do we justify spreading the gospel? Well... Uh, Very simply, ladies and gentlemen, we are to obey the rules of of government. We are to submit to those in authority over us, uh, except for one major exception. And that is when the rules or the laws of man violate the rules or the laws of God. In that case, we are to 
follow the laws of God. Let me give you really probably a great example from Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter and, and John and, you know, they're getting in all kinds of trouble with the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And, and they weren't just, you need to understand, they weren't just religious leaders. That gave, them, that gave them ruling authority, ruling power, even under the Roman government. And in Acts chapter 4, we find this says, Then they called them in again meaning Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. So I think you can kind of figure out what what, uh, they are saying there. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John say, we hear what you're saying. You, you can judge for yourself whether it's right for us to, to listen to you and obey you or whether it's right to listen to God and obey God. And clearly the implication is we can't help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then a little further on in the story when they're released and then the, the religious leaders find out that they're out preaching even more about Jesus and they have them arrested again in Acts chapter 5 and we find this. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Don't you love that fact that, 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 that these guys, are, they filled all of Jerusalem with this teaching. Peter and the other apostles replied, hey, why don't we read that last sentence there together? Would you read that with me? We must obey God rather than men. So when the laws of man conflict with the laws of God, we have to go with the laws of God. There may be a consequence for that. There may be, there may be persecution. We'll talk about that some uh, today. There may be imprisonment in certain countries. But the commandment that we're given, Matthew chapter 28, don't have it up on the screen or anything, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, go, it's an imperative in the Greek, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We must obey God rather than men. That's Q&A.